Located in the Black Hills of South Dakota, Mount Rushmore is a monumental sculpture carved into the side of a mountain, depicting four of the most famous and influential presidents in the history of the United States of America. Jeremy. I've sharpened my knives already. MC. What the fuck does that mean? I'm, I'm fascinated by what I've heard so far. Well, I love the movie Money. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Mount Rushmore podcast, where pop culture is carved in stone. I am one of your hosts, MC, and rather than me introducing them, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. With me, as always, are three of the most intelligent, well-spoken, and... Um, usually insightful gentlemen that I've ever met. We're going to start with them telling us who they are, what they're about, interpret that however you want, and what they're drinking right now. Spro, let's start with you. Uh, okay, I am Spro, and usually, you know, I like to be, I'd like to be a little bit humbler than most, but I think this is a very special episode to me because this episode is like, if you're not in first, you're in last. And I just want to say that I'm Spro, I'm the, I'm the point leader currently for Rushmore, where the points don't matter. And I am drinking a half gallon of water-flavored water, and the water flavoring is Weiler's Lemonade. Water-flavored water? What the fuck does that mean? Or water... <laughs> I'm not the most intelligent person on this show. The uh, wa- <laughs> the little packets I- that you throw in water. No, I get I it. I, I genuinely thought you were making like a... An, like a, like a um, like an intelligent joke, um, saying something <laughs> no. like, it'd be like, like ordering, like ordering water at a restaurant, but saying no ice because, um, I'm allergic to it. Like <laughs> I, that's where I thought you were going, but clearly. No, it was actually, just... Yeah. When I put on my grocery list, like I need water flavors. So that's, ah. that's why that came out the way that it did out of my, out of my mouth. And next up we have Jeremy, Jeremy, what's up? Not much. I'm very excited to be here. This is a very Exciting show that we have planned here. Very exciting topic. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Um, I am an author. I have two books out now, Ocean of Storms and Zero Limit, available from Amazon Publishing. So be sure to pick those up. And uh, hopefully I won't embarrass myself too much tonight as I did last time around. Are you drinking anything? I'm not. I am uh, going straight edge for this one. Oh wow! Okay, that's 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 a bold move. And last but not least, I got. This. I don't even. Hello. I, all right. Hello, listener. <laughs> this is this is your boy Rudy, and uh, tonight I am pounding back some Seventh Sun Brewery uh, Rhyme. It's an Indian pale ale. I've been throwing these down in anticipation of tonight's episode because I am just I'm ready. How many are you in right now? I uh, let's just say it, it. There's 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 a lot in the can, if you know what I mean. Okay, I, I so just made that up. Uh, no, that's fine, Rudy. You always bring the flavor. You are the en fuego of this podcast, and we are lucky to have you, ladies and gentlemen. The way this podcast works <clears throat> is the four of us seek to carve a new Mount Rushmore using the selections from whatever topic. Uh, this specific episode is about. In this case, the topic that we've chosen, henchmen. And we'll get into the definition and the specifics of that in a little bit. The way it works is this. Randomly, 
Our names are chosen, and we reveal our four nominations. Each of us is allowed to pick four selections that we throw out on the board right at the beginning with no discussion whatsoever. Once everything is all out in the open and we realize who nominated who, if there are any crossovers, if there are any random outliers, that's when we discuss, possibly debate, all of the selections that have been made. Then we go into round one, two, and three. In round one, in order to make our final mountain of four, we cut one of our selections from our own lists. In round two, we cut one selection from someone else's list. And in round three, we nominate one selection from someone else's list of the selections remaining to the mountain. Now, there's a bonus round. And this bonus round has evolved over time. And at this point, this bonus round is potentially more important than ever because it's based on points. For every selection that gets finally carved into the Mount Rushmore of pop culture during each episode, uh, the person who nominated that selection gets a point. And we've been keeping point totals over the past episodes up until this, our seventh episode. The point totals are as follows. Spro is standing tall with 14. Myself, Rudy, and Jeremy all have 10. So it's a three-way tie for second, third, fourth, last place. Now, the reason this is so important for the bonus round is because normally during the bonus round, the person with the least amount of points is allowed to make a swap. That means that the person with the least amount of points can decree that there's been an unjust carving into the mountain and swap out a pick from one of the other lists. This is where we have to introduce the caveat, the new rule, the Urkel Clause. Oh my if, you God. Listen to, if you listen to our last episode, you know that our final Mount Rushmore was carved with... Uh, male sitcom characters to the tune of Michael Scott, The Fonz, David Rose, and as a last-minute addition, a swap by the co-host with the fewest points, Steve Urkel. So we've introduced the Urkel Clause. It's been ratified. It's been added as an amendment to the uh, Mount Rushmore Constitution, so there's no changing it. And what it says is that you cannot swap out someone from your own list. If you happen to be the person with the, the fewest points coming in, you cannot swap someone out from your own list. That way, hopefully we won't avoid, and hopefully we will, oh, oh man, hopefully we will avoid, I forgot to say I'm drinking red wine and I'm about like a quarter of a bottle done right now. We'll avoid any embarrassments like we suffered last show with Earth. Oh, Rudy, I'm oh, sure you want to comment. Okay, listen, hey, listener, <laughs> If, if this is not your first rodeo with us, first, thank you for your support. Secondly, you, you're well aware of some of the stinkers these clowns have put up on the Mount Rushmore. All right? I think it's unjust and unfair, but you know what? I'm out for blood tonight. I'm just saying it. What, what stinkers are we talking about? I mean, I mean, a spoiler alert, if this is your first episode of... <laughs> uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, you might want to fast forward 30 seconds here. I'm, uh, come on. We put Bill Lumbar as, a, as one of the best villains ever. We put 
that, like anything with Kevin Spacey on it. Ugh. Yeah, and these are not. Oh, y'all are just. Uh, I'm getting worked up already. You have me sweating right now. First of all, first of all, I think you're confusing Bill Lumberg with Bill Lumbar, who is actually the um, <laughs> chiropractor who lives down the street from my house, works on lower beds. Oh, okay, uh, oh, 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 you know <clears throat> words. I'm gonna put a laugh track in there so people are gonna think it was fucking hilarious. So, <laughs> so anyway, anyway. Um, once the mountain is carved, then we declare it as such. We award the final points, and then we spin our wheel of choices to decide the next topic for the next episode of the Mount Rushmore podcast. Those are the rules. And as of right now, as of the seventh episode, uh, and they've been evolving ever since episode one, I think this is a good set of rules that we've got. So to start things off, we're going to go ahead and randomize our names in whatever random order that the computer spits back. That's the order in which we're going to release our picks. Now, our episode today is henchmen. So before we get started, let's talk about what makes a good henchman. Before we came on, um, we and, and in the weeks between shows, we were debating what criteria we could use to um, establish at least you know, some sort of uh, some sort of bar for setting what constitutes a henchman and what doesn't. And we came up with some of the following criteria. A henchman must be a simple but unique entity with no substantial backstory, screen time, or be integral to the plot. Thus, they cannot be a film's primary villain. So someone like Darth Vader, who essentially was a henchman for the Emperor, but played the role of the primary antagonist in the Star Wars original trilogy would not count. Um, they must be inimitable from their peers, distinguishable and not part of a collective. So that rules out anything like stormtroopers, foot soldiers, flying monkeys, minions, etc. You can hear Jeremy scribbling out minions and going, fuck, right now. <laughs> and Finally, they must be loyal and devoted to the primary antagonist and their overall evil plan, unwavering and zealous, i.e. no hired guns or freelance hitmen uninterested in the grand scheme of things. So someone like Boba Fett would not be considered a henchman. We all clear on those rules? Crystal. Very. I'll allow it. So before we go uh, and release our picks, Spurl, why don't you start? What to you makes a good henchman? This, <clears throat> I, my list is all over the place. Usually I have like one set of ideals and being like, you know, like the most, the best evil villain of all time. I was like, they, they won, you know, like that would be something I was bringing to the table. Every one of my henchmen is completely different. I wanted to do it where like, the henchmen were better and more evil than the actual villain itself. But I really only liked one person that was like that. Um, are they memorable? Are do people really like, do they gravitate toward them? There was really only one henchman like that. Um, <clears throat> are they stronger? Were they more difficult to beat than the head villain? Like there was like one villain. So it was all over the place. I'm a mess on this episode. That's why I kind of wanted to be cocky. Cause I don't think I'm going to stay at the top for very long. Spro, I would argue that you are um, the most 
uh, well versed in the world of uh, movies, cinema, and film out of the four of us. So your picks are always intriguing and um, certainly discussion worthy. Rudy, what goes into making a good henchman for you? I'm I'm gonna this. I was I was dreading this at first. I was like, oh no, I don't. This is this is not going to be my episode. But then I hit the groove, and it came down to one thing: intimidation. That was that's all I was looking for was the henchman intimidating. And I believe my picks today, uh, everyone will agree with me. You are aware that Urkel was not a henchman, correct? You know what? We oh, okay. This is how it's going to be. All right. You. <laughs> all right. Um, and finally, Jeremy, for you, what makes a memorable and effective and a worthy henchman? I think a henchman to me was when I thought about this was a character that you remember equally as much, if not more so, than the main antagonist. Somebody who poses as much of a threat and possibly, again, more of a threat than the guy who is supposed to be the main villain. So that's what I tried to think about. And people who you remember, not even for maybe always being a threat, but just for being a memorable character. I think the rule, or I think the um, the concept of henchmen has has taken on sort of like a, like you said, Jeremy, like are they are they more memorable or at least as memorable as the main villain? You know, it's almost like the, it's like if, like a band when, you know, the, the bass guitarist becomes the breakout star instead of the lead singer, like that kind of thing where whatever it is, their appearance, their charisma, their screen time, their integration into the plot just makes them, like all you guys said, memorable. So we're at the point where it's time to release our picks. And I'm going to go ahead and randomize our names. And in that order, we're going to say um, the name of the pick and the movie that the pick is from. All right, here we go. Ready? So the order will be Jeremy, MC, Rudy, and Spro. So Jeremy, you're up first. And we do all our picks, right? How many times have you been on this fucking show? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm still trying just, to recover from crossing out of minions. <laughs> <laughs> so I, had to re- I had to reshuffle my list. That's right. Do you want to defer and go to the end? or <laughs> I, I bet that threw you through a loop. It did. It definitely did. Who doesn't love those? Little yellow bastards. Okay, so I have Jaws from both The Spy Who Loves Me and uh, Moonraker, the great James Bond henchman. I have Bob, the Joker's number one guy from the 1989 Batman. I have Carl from Die Hard, uh, who was the brother of the first uh, terrorist that John McClane does in and then spends the rest of the movie seeking revenge. And Otis from the Christopher Reeve Superman. Looks like a Bernoose. Ah, yes. Okay. All right. All good picks. And I have to say, I'm feeling good about this one. I have number one, Bob the Goon from Batman. Number two, Carl from Die Hard. Number three, Luca Brazzi from The Godfather. I am honored and grateful. And number four, Go-Go from Kill Bill. Rudy, you're up next. All right. Okay. Hang on. I'm I'm writing stuff down here. All right. So 
I'm, I'm fascinated by what I've heard so far. The number one on my list is Tyrone Ruggin, the six-fingered man from The Princess Bride. I swear it will be done. Number two on my list is Odd Job from Bond, obviously. Uh, number three on my list is Bebop. <laughs> and number four on my list. This is my, this is my, this one I, I, I went back and forth on and I settled on it. This is Lightning from the Three Storms from Big Trouble in Little China. All right. Spro, you're up last. What? <clears throat> What's Bebop from? Uh, Bebop is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, I was just making sure that. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, no. Okay, I feel kind of good. Um, I will just say the ones that are cross-referenced. I have... Um, is somebody writing? I feel like I'm in an Eminem video. Oh, I was crossing. I was, yeah, I was writing a letter to Marshall Mathers. My bad. Go on. <laughs> uh, uh, I have Carl as well from Die Hard. I also have Count Tyrone Rugen, for, played by Chris Sarandon in The Princess Bride. Um, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, but I really like it. I have Pinky from Pinky and the Brain and the Animaniacs. And then I also have David Morse playing Major Tom Baxter from The Rock. I literally have to write David Morse playing Tom Baxter from The Rock. Otherwise, I wouldn't know who that is. Tom Baxter. The fact that you knew his last name. Did you know his last name or did you have to look him up? No, I had to look up the the character's name. Okay. All right. So here we are. Everyone's on the board. Let's see what jumped out to me at first. There's a there's a bit of overlap uh, between Rudy and Spro. We have um, Count Tyrone from The Princess Bride. Um, between myself, Jeremy, and Spro, Carl from Die Hard. Which I have to say, as I wrote him down, I thought to myself, "Now there's going to be." I'm going to be number one. I'm going to be the only one who nominates him. Jeremy, maybe because I know how much Jeremy loves Die Hard. But ultimately, it's going to be like, a, yeah, was he really good henchman or was he just uh, stupid or what? I don't know. Whatever Rudy would say. And I was about to say, you um, really captured Bro in your impersonation there. <laughs> um, and we also had um, uh, overlap with Bob the Goon from Batman. So, um, Rudy, your picks. Uh, first of all, I have to give you credit for choosing Bebop. Um, I vacillated between. Bebop and Rocksteady. I knew we couldn't choose a team. I knew that we couldn't choose the foot soldiers. Otherwise they would have been on my list. I'm curious to know why Bebop instead of Rocksteady. Well, I feel like Bebop was just the cooler looking one of the two. Um, and you know, it was, I, that was pretty much it. Like it's this giant warthog, right? And like with the Mohawk, it looked dope. And yeah, that's, I mean, it was the it was the character I wanted to see the most in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies when I was a kid, and I never got to see, and it really upset me. So, Bebop deserves his day. So, to clarify, your criteria for choosing Bebop were uh, one, Warthog with a mohawk; two, looked dope. Is that correct? I mean, yeah. What what? 
I mean, am I speaking English? Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to get a feel for what makes a good henchman. Um, and I I just, that was, that was Shredder's answer to the turtles. He's like, I need mutated, uh, henchmen. And he came up with some pretty strong henchmen. And I just won. I mean, Bebop was obviously strong. I mean, if you watch the first episode of the cartoon where they're introduced, it's like the turtles are overpowered. So, but Bebop looked the coolest. Rudy, you you do not have to convince me of anything um, that is less than sublime about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I have the pinball machine in my basement. I am probably the biggest Ninja Turtles fan that you'll ever talk to. And I, it, it pains me to know that we have not discussed this prior. We'll have to start our own text chat and just talk about Ninja Turtles. So yes. I completely respect you choosing uh, Bebop. Um Big Trouble in Little China. This is one that I actually considered, but again, <clears throat> the three, uh, what was it called? The three storms. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't separate them. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't legitimately nominate one without realizing them as a collective, I guess. Well, and I, I had the same problem too. And I believe that question was kind of hinted at in the beginning in the text and it was mainly focused on those three. And when I think about it, like lightning was the mon- the, the coolest one. You had one that like could kind of fly with swords and stuff. And then you had one that just kind of swelled up like he got stung by like 10,000 bees. And lightning, it was he was Raiden before Raiden. He just looked dope with that hat and the lightning. There was no answer for him. He was intimidating as hell. So that's why I chose lightning. Okay, so... To, to backtrack and just to clarify your criteria for choosing lightning, um, intimidating as hell and look dope. Correct. Correct. Okay. Fair enough. And, um, <clears throat> this is where we can do some crossover. Let's start with odd job because of course, I think probably all of us considered odd job at one point. Um, he was on my short list. I crossed him out. And Jeremy, you when you first said Jaws, I was like, holy shit, this idiot from the, the from Jaws the movie, the shark. The shark was the villain, not the henchman. And then <laughs> <laughs> and wow. it reminded me of it reminded me of when Spro nominated Lucille Ball for male sitcom characters. And and I was like, right off the bat, Jesus, this idiot. But Jaws from Jaws from the Bond the Bond universe solid pick tell us why well i think he redefined odd job was the prototype of the bond henchman and still kind of you know he's the original and and and, you know probably the the most famous after jaws but i think that jaws became you know synonymous with bond henchman that's what everyone remembers and he's the only one who was brought back for a sequel, his popularity was such that he was, they brought him back and they turned him into a good guy. So um, I think that, you know, when you think of Bond Henchman, you, you first think of Oddjob, but then you, you may, th- then you think of Jaws. And like I said, Jaws was the one that they brought back because his popularity was, was so huge that uh, fans wanted more of him. And that's never been done before or since in any Bond movie. And really, I can't think of another action movie where they brought a henchman back simply uh to have another go round with the with the uh with the hero. Well to be fair, uh Carl came back in the same movie. So that's pretty unprecedented too. That is. That is. After <laughs> after uh, hanging by a chain by his neck. Right. So right. that's true. 
So Rudy, um, you you nominated Odd Job. So tell us tell us why Odd Job instead of Jaws. Well, Jaws was Jaws was on my short list, and I think the main thing that separated Odd Job and Jaws for me was Odd Job is more identifiable. Odd Job is more uh, iconic. Uh, uh, thanks to well the movies, but then you have Golden Eye, the video game. You have the the ripoff of random task from the Austin Powers films. He it's a character that is easily recognizable and identifiable, and you know he was kind of a badass. So that's why I chose him. Okay, so Spro, as the whether or not our listener knows this, the um, undisputed champion of GoldenEye sixty four. Um, how do you feel about Odd Job versus Jaws? Well, you never want to play Jaws. Jaws is huge. He's a big target. And usually, if you're playing with a respectable bunch of fellas and ladies, uh, you take Odd Job off the table right away because Odd Job is super tiny. And if you play like slapping only, um, you can't, you can't, like Odd Job is just going around punching people in the nuts. So Odd Job is a better pick as far as Goldeneye goes. As far as this goes, like I wanted, I'm going to fight for one of these characters to be on the mountain only because I think a James Bond henchman should go up there. Um, I just couldn't pick myself which one. And on my short list, I had six picks that I whittled down to four. Xenia on the top was going to be my pick, but I figured um, you guys were going to, or at least Jeremy and Rudy were going to, I know you're not a James Bond fan, but I know that, Rudy and Jeremy were going to bring some James Bond picks. And I was like, well, I'm just going to pick off of their list then. So I'll be honest with you. I texted Jeremy the other day and I said, I have three and I'm thinking of playing the fourth one for points because I knew that either Jaws or Oddjob would show up in somebody's list. And I thought, since I can't decide on a fourth one, maybe I'll just play this one for points and pick one that I know is going to show up. Ultimately, I decided against that. But I think that speaks to the the fact that both of them are totally solid choices. Um, so let's see. Spro and Rudy, you guys both picked the count from Princess Bride. Tell us a little bit more about why. I mean, I, I know the Princess Bride not super well. I'd, I'd say I'd say my um, fanaticism leans more toward the Fred Savage uh, plot points, but. I understand that, you know, there is another story going on. Tell us why Count Tyrone is, uh, what's his last name? Tyrone. It's not Tyrone Bigham. What is it? What is it? Rugen. 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 Um, Tell us why he made your list. Spro, you go first. He's a six-fingered man. I don't like, (laughs) I chuckled myself when you said like, I just, I go with the Fred Savage bits, which are like seven minutes of one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, and then you have, yeah, the six figured man that Anigo Mentoya is hunting down, who has built his own torture chamber inside of a hollowed out tree. Um, yeah, I don't like this. Just this one was one of the easy ones for me. I think because I grew up with the movie, it's very nostalgic for me. And, and uh, Chris Sarandon, played the part he outshines prince hupperdink like nobody cares a great villain in a movie you kind of side with right you kind of like well maybe you know what if he 
succeeds a little bit, I totally understand on that front because he's such a charming, handsome fella. Prince Hubbardick sucks as a villain. You don't cheer for him. You cheer for the six-fingered man, even though Inigo Montoya is, I think, one of the greatest heroes of all time. So that's where I'm coming okay. from. I, I would love to hear Rudy. Well, I um, promise, I prom- before we get to Rudy, I promise you Mandy Patinkin will have his day on this podcast. Rudy, tell us why um, you picked Count Tyrone. Well, just uh, uh, we can edit this out. Isn't it Christopher Guess that played Tyrone? It is. Yes, I fucking put. Yeah, that had Prince Hubberding. Fuck oh, that's that cool. guy. No, <laughs> it's no worries. <laughs> no worries. Um, no, okay. So here is why the Six Finger Man is one of the greatest henchmen of all time. A character in the movie that he is in has dedicated his life to hunting him down and killing him. And that, he, that just that, the fact that he is the sole motivation for a character to exact revenge upon is the definition of a brilliant henchman. Without the six-finger man, we wouldn't have, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to die. We wouldn't have that. And he, he is just the perfect henchman when he talks about, like, if you don't have your health, you have nothing at all. The way his face is stoic, he doesn't move, he's not affected by stuff. Oh, it makes the the his demise even more cathartic. That's how good he is as a henchman. So, Rudy, um, before we move on, I just want you to critique, and I'll replay it here right now, Spro's pronunciation of Inigo Montoya. Inigo Montoya, Inigo Montoya, Inigo Montoya. <laughs> Um, he gets an A for effort. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Spro, let's keep going with you. Pinky from Pinky in the Brain, not one I even considered. And I tried really hard to think of an animated um, henchman. I, like I said, went back and forth with Bebop and Rocksteady. Did not even think of Pinky in the Brain. I think that's a really interesting pick. Uh, yeah. And this one, this I did some deep psychology on this one. So, um to get a true bad guy, I feel like... So when I think of Brain, I also kind of think of uh, Stewie from Family Guy, right? Um, where it's just these little animated fellows that want to take over the world. But when it comes to like real-life villains, the, the ones that we talk about, they would not be as strong as they ever were if they never found their counterpart, if they never found that, that one buddy that would ride and die with them through their evil scheming. And I feel like brain who would, who was just a little mouse with a big brain. I think he would just be a little mouse with a big brain. If pinky wasn't there to help him with his scheming and to, you know, say like, well, we're going to do this, whether we die or not. Like, I think pinky is that great foil to brain. So he's, you know, he's the, he's the Clyde to brains, Bonnie. Let's, let's move on to Bob the goon from, 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 from Batman. Um, Jeremy, you and I both picked him and, um, I've got my reasons. I want to hear yours first. Well, like I uh, was saying about my criteria about picking a henchman. Um, so Jack Nicholson is the thing that you remember the most about that movie, right? He, he, he gets top billing over Michael Keaton. He is that movie in a lot of ways. Disagree. Bat, Bat dance, but go on. I stand corrected. Bad Dance and then Jack Nicholson as the Joker, the things you remember about the 1989 Batman. But 
nevertheless, Bob is always there. He's in every scene He's that the Joker is in. He He's his loyal uh, number one guy. Um, and he's just kind of – it's hard to describe exactly why it is that he's so effective, but he's sort of this silent, stoic presence that he's always got the Joker's back. He, so whatever the Joker needs, he hands it to him which ultimately leads to his untimely demise at the end. And uh, it's, he's just sort of one of those characters that, you know, he doesn't have much in the way of dialogue, but you remember him very well. For me, the reason Bob the Goon is the perfect henchman is because at the end of his role in the film, he ultimately represents what all henchmen are, and that's disposable. Okay, he is loyal to the Joker from the beginning of the film, puts himself in danger, um, mortal danger, uh, attempts to rescue Joker, um, you know, the whole I'll do Gordon thing. Um, And then at the end of his role in the film, he continues his servitude blindly and is ultimately executed at the whim of his boss as nothing more than a disposable henchman. And I think, I think we talked a lot at the beginning and sort of created this air of, you know, they have to, um, they have to outshine the villain and they have to, you know, make themselves more, more memorable. But I, I, I don't think that's a henchman. I think a henchman is, a disposable resource that helps the villain accomplish his goal. And Bob the goon is the personification of that. I look y'all. I did the Wikipedia search too. I mean, I did the Google search for henchmen too. And Bob the goon was the first one that popped up. And then I was like, Oh yeah, he was a goon. I look, I admire like, y'all's commitment and and honoring this but like there is nothing intimidating about bob the goon like it, at all yeah he's a good servant he might as well have been a butler he was the anti he was the antithesis to alfred like that guy it's i don't i i you waxed poetic about him and i appreciate that i just he's a he's a henchman is he a mount rushmore henchman i don't think so well, I appreciate your compliment, Rudy, and um, I'm going to do my best to uh, infiltrate through your ear into your brain and convince you otherwise by the end of the show. Let's talk about Carl from Die Hard, because he showed up on three lists, which in the past has all but um, guaranteed that selection a lock on the mountain. My right, my reasoning being that he was easily Hans Gruber's most loyal henchman. He gave the not even um aside from Hans Gruber he gave he he posed the biggest threat to John McClane in that entire movie and ultimately at the end when he comes back in this superhuman super villainous way he provides the redemption arc for a secondary character that the entire audience has has come to love and Rudy you might remember that actor as Reginald Vell Johnson, who starred on Family Matters alongside Steve Urkel. I think that, 
<laughs> do you want to say, do you want to give another quip like fuck you again or something? Um, Kiss my ass. <laughs> and I think that Carl's involvement in the plot of Die Hard shows for the first time his frustration when when his brother is killed and sent down the elevator with the ho 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 his reaction shows that John McClane is a threat to these to these criminals and in doing so he becomes more enraged he becomes more determined and be, he becomes uh more violent and more more dangerous really to John McClane and he he does so all while standing in front of Hans Gruber okay Hans Gruber never aside from aside from escaping and pretending to be clay bill clay um hans gruber never really has to lift a finger while carl is doing the dirty work and i think to me that's kind of the ultimate henchman um spro you had him also so let's hear what you had to think so this is the third time that die hard is showing up in seven episodes and usually i'm shitting on it um only because like i i i said like i did not believe that John McClane would be an action hero that I would go see in the theater again. <laughs> Wait, can you guys hear me pouring my wine? Oh, we Hold can on. hear everything. <laughs> can you hear me pouring my wine? Are you inside of a tin shack? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> I didn't realize. I'm sorry. I'm taking notes. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to. I'm, am I the only one? Do you, do I, sometimes I doubt your commitment to this podcast, Rudy. I feel like you're taking notes on one of those metal TV trays. <laughs> All right, my bad. I'll move back with my notes about how bad your picks are. Spro, go on. Um, yeah, no, I'm usually shitting. I said, like, I would not go see a, th- uh, a John McClane movie again in the theater. Um, I said that Hans Gruber was a weak villain because once he dispatched of everybody else, Um, He just kind of throws Hans off of a building. But the one thing that I will say they did phenomenally well is the casting slash writing slash acting and portrayal of this henchman of Carl Vresky, um, played by Alexander Gudinov. I don't know where Carl ends and Alexander begins, but every time I see this guy's face, I want to punch it and run away because I would never win in a fight with him. But like he showed up all over the place after the movie. And I just, to me, he is the smarmiest fucking detestable villain in Die Hard. And, and when we said best henchman, he was like the first face that popped up in my head. Uh, fun fact, Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2 was also a disposable henchman in this movie, uh, Die Hard. Um, Jeremy, <laughs> you you picked um well actually let me back up so spro you said every time you see his face do you see his face a lot these days i well i love the movie money pit and he's the one that tries to seduce shelly long in it so (laughs) and then the uh that that's gonna be at at the beginning when i do the intro and we each have our quotes (laughs) that's gonna be yours well i love the movie money pit (laughs) and so and correct me for like die hard three is probably my favorite die hard movie for whatever reason, I'm throwing his face in there. Like as, but I know it's not Jeremy Irons, like villain henchman guy. in that was like a, a speckled. Oh, he was kind of, yeah, he was kind of like a yard sale. Carl from, from, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking. And you're, I mean, that's, that's not a bad point. Like they, they did the whole tie in with, um, 
Jeremy Irons character being the brother of Hans Gruber. So it's only fitting that he should have a, you know, dollar store Carl as, as, as his henchman. If Jeremy Irons had a Carl, man, I think he would won. In a Carl instead of a, I believe the guy, and I'm going to be very impressed if this is correct. His name was Matthias, I think. Oh, he looked like a missing member of Train Spotting. Jeremy, you are the only one who's yet to speak about Carl. So, Jeremy, talk about Carl. I think you guys have said it all pretty much. I mean, it's it's the fact that really he represents almost a bigger threat to John McClane than Hans Gruber. I mean, Hans is smart and cunning, but. Carl is brute force, and Carl's pursuit of McLean is more relentless even than Hans. Hans is happy to sort of lock him out and keep him contained, and Carl is ready to tear the building apart to find him. And his his uh, you know mania for for uh, getting revenge is such that it almost upends their own plans. So he becomes kind of this force of nature that both Hans and McLean have to contend with. And the redemption arc with uh, Reginald L. Johnson's character is also very compelling as well, even if his return is completely unrealistic. And then Fair say, enough. He, although, I mean, you know what? He got hung by a chain. He got slammed into the wall. We didn't see what happened in between those 45 minutes or whatever, so we don't know. Why did they put him in a body bag with a gun? That's the whole <laughs> I've always... <laughs> <laughs> so why would they leave? I didn't even hey, think about that. Because <laughs> he jumps up and he's got a gun. And I was like, wait a minute. Why would they? Wait, wait. wait. He would... wasn't in a body bag. He was wrapped in a blanket, but he still did have that gun. And it wasn't even <laughs> like a, it wasn't even like a, like a, one of those like Wild West like guns that the ladies would hide in their garters. It was like yes. a big fucking assault rifle. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like nobody thought nobody nobody thought to take that away from him. Like, hey, yeah, should like, guys, let's just, should we should we leave this inside for the cops? Nah, bring it with him. It's his. It's you, you know, know what, let him let him sort out outside. You know, guys, we'll we don't, if if this if this gun gets lost, we don't want to get sued, guys. So let's bring it with him. Like, listen, if we have to separate everything out, then we got to fill out paperwork. It's Christmas Eve. I want to get home. <laughs> let's just put everything together, and we'll deal with it after the holidays. All right. That's right. And they bring him out. <laughs> the best part is they bring him out, and he's walking. In a blanket, if I recall, like they bring him out, he's walking, he's holding the gun in a like under a police blanket, and neither one of the paramedics or whatever on either side of him thought to be like, "Hey, do you think this is a problem?" Well, no, he's not walking; he's dead. But no, he he if, and and I could be completely wrong, but it's not like he rises up off a stretcher, is it? Like he's like he he he's sort of like it's almost like he um, has his back turned to the camera, and then he like does the big reveal where he throws the blanket off with the gun pointed toward okay. the air. Isn't that what happens? I, I thought he was lying down somewhere, like under a tarp or something, that he was dead and. <laughs> Was just with all they just threw all the bodies and weapons and everything together in a big heap. <laughs> so either just, way, so either way, once we do a Mount Rushmore of um, ineffective EMTs, I think yes. that the that the the crew from the crew from Die Hard is going to be um, first ballot. So yes. um, all right, so we've got a few we've got a few outliers, and lots of times in the past the outliers have have surprised us. So um, Spro, you have. Uh, or let's see who has, okay. So we each, well, I have two Spro. Tell us about, um, major Tom Baxter from the rock who David Morse is phenomenal. I, I love every time I see David Morse, I'm, I'm, 
I'm rem- I'm comforted. I'm like, okay, this movie, even though it's a, if it's not the best, as long as David Morse is on screen, it's going to be palpable. And in The Rock, which is one of you know certainly my favorite action movies, um, I think that that his character was definitely serviceable, but he never even crossed my mind as a henchman, and I'm curious to know why you picked him. Oh man, he's he's our he's our henchman with a with a heart of gold. Uh, Ed Harris in the movie, his you know his villain arc, it was completely understandable. It's not until that everything is revealed where he was actually bluffing. He's not going to kill all these people, and you just you get this shot of David Moore's face, like wait what? Like this was all a lie. Like he was in it. He was in it to perhaps destroy the city of San Francisco and kill everybody in it. But he was also in it because Ed Harris, he trusted Ed Harris and he was right along with his side. So he's so conflicted. And I feel like with everybody that we have on this list, he is probably the most conflicted henchman. He is capable of mass murder, but really only if his top villain is. And really when everything turns, he doesn't have, you know, he dies pretty quickly after that spoiler warning. But uh, it all kind of goes south. But you want to believe that you don't get to see his decision at the final thing. He's 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 doing his duty. He is so good in that movie. And to me, he hit he checked all the boxes of henchmen. And I wanted the other. Like I said, I had a list of six people. The other person was a military person. But uh, David Morris won won my heart in the end. Like you almost root for this henchman. And you're very okay. sad when he dies. Like he's probably the only person that you're that you're uh, you're distraught when he dies because you also <clears throat> feel like you're kind of going along and seeing the movie through his eyes as well as Nicolas Cage and as well as Nicolas Cage. I, I, Sean Connery was amazing in the movie, but I never really understood. <laughs> it's so funny it that it's so funny that you bring up The Rock because today I don't know it was just like a random Instagram post or something I read that. Sean Connery, when they were filming that movie, refused to travel back and forth from the mainland to Alcatraz. So they built him his own cabin on Alcatraz Island. And I don't know why, other other than the serendipitous existence of the cosmos, I would have read that this morning um, before you introduced the character from The Rock tonight during this recording. So time out. I have to go take a piss. I'll be right back. (laughs) That That red wine runs right through you. I'm going to be honest, like I, I, I had to IMDB, uh, David Morris. Cause but you Morris. now know. Yeah. Cause I first, I was like, Oh, are you talking about the black guy that played Candyman?" I was like, yeah, he's a good man. <laughs> and then I was like, the more you were talking about, like you feel bad when he dies. And I was like, I didn't feel bad when that guy died. No, there's also that goofy looking fucker. Oh yeah. the rock. Yes, sir. Ready to go, sir. Like that, that, yeah, that. Yeah. I'll choke my million bucks out of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy that gets it the, the he gets the nerve gas slammed into his mouth. Yeah, in the the face. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, not those two guys. <laughs> Man, I this was like, I don't know about y'all, but like my list ended up getting really long. Like I Mine did not. I I I suffered with I okay so I do want to hear your guys' thoughts Xenia on a top was she good like to me like crushing you to death with her thighs was oh, that's, I mean that's that's how my second college girlfriend yeah she that's how that was her line I think she's uh, one of the one of the best latter-day henchmen definitely 
Yeah. That, so that, I, not that there's been a lot of great ones, but she's one that's right. most memorable. Um, and then the other one that I had was Kiefer Sutherland, who played second lieutenant Jonathan Kendrick from A Few Good Men, because he was actually the one that ordered the men to do the code red, but everybody forgets about him because of Jack Nicholson. True. Good point. He's very yeah, scary. I want you guys to know I got Bluetooth headphones. I could hear everything you said, and the um, <laughs> the impressions of the guys from The Rock were fantastic. I'm going to keep them in there. So, <laughs> so but I mean, <laughs> I love bro. I love that you called him the goofy looking fucker because I knew exactly, like I was I was I was pissing, and I knew exactly who you were talking about while he's sitting on the bed, like General Cocklock and ready to rock. You know, the time is just just wondering if the general knows of the time, sir. <laughs> And and even Ed Harris is annoyed as shit with that guy. He's like, I'm well aware of the time, Captain, you stupid asshole. <laughs> but and then um I'm glad I, I forget who uh did anybody say his name or was it he just the guy from Candyman? Tony Todd, right? Just, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I, I'm glad I'm glad that he came up too because this gives me a chance to throw in the clip of him saying, I don't like soft ass shit. I don't like soft ass shit. so all right so we've got um two picks no three picks left um i picked gogo from kill bill and i picked luca brazzi from the godfather which to be honest back to gogo but luca brazzi i am i am honestly genuinely surprised that nobody picked him and i'd be interested to hear reasons why because of all the criteria that we established at the beginning of this show, someone being memorable, someone being powerful, someone being loyal to the 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 cause and the the mission, um, even though he's only in the movie for all of what like fifteen minutes, and even though he's portrayed as somewhat kind of a a bumbling um like like buffoon the reason is that he's so dedicated and devoted to this massively intimidating figure in Don Corleone and uh, he uh, I will admit he was a pick that came to me like late in the process of of brainstorming all this so I'd be interested to hear why why he didn't pop up anywhere else Jeremy I know you love the godfather I do. And I, I, he was on my short list, but I just felt like the ones that I ultimately landed on kind of uh, fit the criteria for me overall. And um, yeah, it was just what it was literally like he was like number five on this and I had to cut down to four. So uh, I agree with everything that you said, but uh, yeah, I don't really have a good argument as to why I didn't choose him. It's just that, I felt like each of these represented kind of an overall cross-section of henchmen that I was looking for. Okay. And Spro, you know, like we said, you're you're probably the most, um, I would dare to say, educated and sophisticated about film and cinema and movies. And The Godfather is obviously one of the most revered movies of all time. Did you consider Luca Brazzi at all? Um, I didn't only for the reason that once the Sopranos came out, that was kind of my go-to for mafia life. And so if I picked a henchman, it would have been from that show. It would have been like either Silvio Dante or Polly Walnuts. Um, 
And that was that was really it. Not that, you know, I'm not saying The Sopranos is better than The Godfather. It's just with the characters other than Don and Michael Corleone and everything going on between them and Michael's ascension to the throne. Um, the Sopranos with all the character work. I mean, they had so much more time. They had, what, five seasons, six seasons to get everything right. So, yeah, I would have just gone with Sil or Polly. So would you argue then, based on what you've just said, that Luca Brasi was the template for those two characters? Could have been. Could have been. Okay. I don't know where uh, they drew. Like, if they all borrowed. I don't know if David Chase drew from Mario Puzo, but maybe. Just to plant that seed as we head toward the final round. Just, just I like it. Throw, I like this just argument. Throw yeah. that out there. Um, <clears throat> all right. So we have two left. Jeremy, you picked Otis from Superman, who, to be completely honest, I forgot about. But as soon as you said him, I I laughed in my own head at the map showing the town of Otisburg. So please elaborate. <clears throat> you said it right there, Otisburg. That's one of the things that in a movie where you have Gene Hackman as your villain and Christopher Reeve's most iconic performance playing Superman, uh, everyone still remembers Otisburg. And Otis is a character that in different hands could have been terrible. I mean... Look at what they did with, with when they try to inject comedy into other superhero movies like the Batman movies in the 90s that were awful. Uh, it doesn't always work. But Otis is a henchman who manages to offset some of the darkness and some of the um, intensity of Lex Luthor, but also bring a lot of and bring a lot of humor. And uh, I mean, as a kid, I just thought he was hilarious. And uh he was one of the characters that I remembered more than anyone else. And, okay. Um, no, go ahead. You no, know, he's he just that he could have been a disaster. When you read about the production of that movie and, and the, the broad comedy that they wanted to put in there, which they ultimately later on did in the sequels with some really bad slapstick, you know, it could have been awful, but uh, it ends up working. So, Rudy, you um, you're a big Superman fan. I'm pretty sure you among others nominated him during our superheroes episode. Um, Do you have any feelings on Otis? Uh, If I had to go from the Superman, uh, I would have chosen um, one of the Kryptonians. I mean, Otis always seemed bumbly to me. I'm, I'm, and wasn't he the, this, this is the same guy. like Mr. Luthor, that guy, right? That's the one. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a, he's a henchman and, He's the equivalent to Bob the Goon in my eyes. I I, I feel like he he is like I don't know. When I was thinking henchman, I'm thinking muscle. But I mean, he he meets the qualifications for a henchman. I just don't know if he's Mount Rushmore worthy. All right. Well, we'll get to that. Um, Jeremy, you you mentioned that Christopher Reeves' uh, defining film. Superman, um, was he not also in Children of the Damned? Vill- Village of the Damned? Village, Village of, the of the Damned, alongside Mark Hamill as and well. Kirstie Alley. And, and Kirstie Alley. Alley. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, that's John Carpenter's Village of the Damned, if you don't mind. <laughs> My bad. It's almost like you forgot about that movie when you, when you, when you decided to dissect Christopher Reeve's filmography. You're um, right. All right. I just want everybody to be aware of the time. It is 103. We're well aware of the times, bro. All right. The last the last one on anyone's list is mine. And mine is, I think, if I'm 
not mistaken, the only female henchman, Gogo from Kill Bill. Um, now, I won't lie, Rudy, on our first show, your uh, one of our first show was Action Heroes, and one of your picks was The Bride from Kill Bill. And as I was trying to manifest my list, I, I started thinking back to old shows, just, you know, my, my brain just sort of, you know, took a, took a, took the exit off that highway to our first show. And I thought, man, Gogo from the Kill Bill series was fucking badass. And I think the reason that ultimately I decided to keep her on my list was because all the things we talked about, loyalty, to her um, loyalty to her master as, as, as a charge to just do the bidding Um, her, her uh, how memorable she was Um, the fact that she carried the, the weapon that was the, you know, the, the mace on the chain with the saw blades on it and all that stuff. And the fact that she gave Uma Thurman's character, the bride, like, the fight of her life and ultimately had to be subdued with the leg of a table with some nails sticking out of it. All of the fights in that movie or in the, in, in those two movies were very not, I don't want to say clean, but they were, they were, they were very precise. And I felt like the, the interactions that Uma Thurman, the bride had with Gogo were just so over the top, violent and messy that it spoke to the to the the intensity of Gogo as a henchman. So, Rudy, as someone who has already professed a love for that movie, I want to hear your thoughts on that pick. I mean, this is the one pick that like that that y'all clowns brought to the table that I was like, all right, now I see that um, wasn't on my list, didn't make my short list, but I I mean. You've convinced me. I may be backing up. I may be backing Gogo for Mount Rushmore because it was. I mean, it was brutal and sexy, and it was. Yeah, I, yeah, you got me. So, okay, so we are at the point in the show now where this is this is where we head into the rounds of elimination. Round one. <clears throat> to recap, round one, everyone has to cut one from their own list. Round two, everyone has to cut one from someone else's list. Round three, everyone has to nominate someone from someone else's list to the mountain. And then we have the bonus round, which in this particular episode is going to be handled a little bit differently. Spro, since you have the um, highest point total and we're all tied for the lowest, I am going to send you a link to a name randomizer and unless you want to do it, do it another way, like pick a number or something. Um, you're going to be the one who chooses who has the option to make a swap. Does that sound good? That sounds Where are you setting it? Like I just sent it in the chat right now. Okay, cool. Yeah, we can All do right. it. All right. So let me go ahead and randomize the list of names. This is the round. This is round one. We have to cut one from our own lists. Hold on one second. I just typed in Spro as Spore. That's how gone I am right now. Um, I'm not even going to try to spell Jeremy. I just wrote J. 
Um, all right. So, okay. So cutting one from your own list. The order is as follows. Jeremy, Spro, myself, and Rudy. Jeremy, you're up first. I am going to take a risk here. I'm going to eliminate Carl from Die Hard because I think there's still two other chances that he can make it to the end. So I'm going to risk not seeing him through in the hopes that somebody else will carry him to the end. Very good, solid strategy, Jeremy. All right, Spro, you're next. I just, uh, I will take Pinky off the list. All right, Pinky is gone. <clears throat> next up, myself. I, you know what? I'm going to play the same card as Jeremy. Because he appears on another list, I'm going to get rid of Carl from Die Hard. Carl from Die Hard is gone. So he's still technically on the board. He's on Spro's list. Um, and if if someone wants to be a dick, they could they could take him off. Um, and that's just the risk we play uh, in this dangerous uh, game. Rudy, you're up. <clears throat> all right. Um, I am going to take out the uh, the weaker in the sense of playing the game. And even though this character is bad ass. Go and watch Big Trouble in Little China. I'm taking out Lightning of the Three Storms. All right. Lightning of the Three Storms is gone. And that's the end of round one. All right. Round two. Now we go back and we're going to, uh, each of us is going to cut someone from somebody else's list. Now, it's important to remember that if you nominated someone and they got cut specifically from your list in the last round, like you cut them yourself. If they appear on someone else's list and they make it to the mountain, you still get a point. That's important to remember. All right. So <clears throat> that said, the new random order to cut someone from someone else's list. Rudy, Spro, myself, Jeremy. Rudy, you're up first. Um, look, uh, after some debate, I, I'm going to cut Bob from, from, ba uh, from Batman, Bob, the, the, the goon from whose list uh, he's on too. I know. Look, you know what? Because I think it's horse shit. I'm going to cut him from, uh, your list, MC. That's fine. I, I go after you. I don't know if you remember that, but that's fine. <laughs> All right. Bob the Goon is gone from my list. Spro. Um, <clears throat> I hear him being judgmental the whole episode of Rudy, but I, I agree with him. I don't like Bob the Goon either, and I'm going to take it off of Jeremy's list. Guys, wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Poor Bob. <laughs> just like the wow. Joker at that parade. Just took him out. Bob? Done. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, my turn. Let's see. Uh, honestly, I... I... Uh, there are there are three here that I cannot make a case for, and you know what? I'm going to go to the randomizer for that. 
Oh my god. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? You guys are colluding against Bob the Goon. What else am I supposed to do? I'm going to go to the randomizer for that. It's not a good henchman. Take the hint. Um. <laughs> all right. Let's see who gets. Let's see who gets eliminated. Tom Baxter, you're gone. What? Major Tom Baxter, you're gone. I, I honestly, um, of of all the memorable parts of that movie. He does not even rank in the top 50. And that's not a knock against David Morse. That's not a knock against Ed Harris's assemblage of a formidable army. But henchmen, I mean, let's think about henchmen. If you were to if you were to go out on a street to a random person, completely random, and say, hey, name a henchman. Do you think David Morse from The Rock would pop up in the back dusty corner of their head? I don't. So Tom Baxter, you're gone. Last up um, was Jeremy. I'm going to try for something strategic here. And I'm going to take out from Rudy's list, Odd Job. In the hopes, yes, that a Bond villain, Bond henchman, should, in a just world, make it onto the mountain, ensuring that. My guy is the one who does it. Take off my bowler and take our job out. All right. You. So here we are. Hold on. Let me. uh, Where's my phone? I'm sitting on it. Hold on. Let me pull up the theme music for the final round. Do you guys remember the theme music for the final round? Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final round. I think the next time we're going to let you sign in under the uh, the the host account so you can see how the sound hot. bars just went. Completely. Oh, I just, I, no, I can it, see it. I just, I mean, I literally, like, I'll obviously cut that out, but I literally just it threw my. shot out of my ear. I'm sorry. I just, I just threw my phone right up against the mic. Like my phone, just, my phone just, my phone just dry humped the mic. I'm sorry. All right. So now this is the list in which we nominate someone who is not on our own list to go to the mountain. God, this is hard because you guys really pick some dumb shit. Like, all right, you know what? I am. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to play this safe and I'm going to nominate or rather I'm going to carve into the mountain Carl from Die Hard. So Spro, you were the only one with him still remaining on your list. Carl from Die Hard as of right now is a lock on the mountain. The next uh, number or wait, did I say the order? No, you did not. (laughs) Oh, the order is me, Jeremy, Spro, Rudy. Jeremy, you're up next. Okay. So, I give and I take. Oh, I take away, but I also give in return. So, Rudy, I took Odd Job off your list, but I'm going to put the Six Figured Man up there because he won me over. In fact, when his name was suggested, I said he—he's not a henchman; he's the main villain. Because I forgot about Prince Humperdinck. So, yes, yes. I'm going to 
put uh, put six figure man Count Rugen up there. Oh, that's nice. That's nice to see. That's nice to see harmony among friends. We're all we're friends. We're having fun. This is great. (laughs) All right, Spro, you're up next. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. So, um, I have an un unpopular opinion. I did not like Kill Bill whatsoever. Um. So the only person that really leaves me with that I know, and because I said that we would put a James Bond villain up on that mountain, I'm going to go with Jeremy's Jaws. All right. Excellent. Jaws it is. And finally, we're back to Rudy. We've come full circle. I don't know if that's true. We've come. I, I don't. I don't remember anything from an hour ago. But now it's your turn, Rudy. Man, I, I swear, y'all. Dang it. All right, because I mean, you you had me. Um, you know what? Go go's going on. All Go-Go right, get that. Tell me, <laughs> Rudy, Rudy. To quote the Backstreet Boys, tell me why. Tell tell me why. I mean, gosh. Well, not only out of the remaining henchmen left is Go Go the most badass, but. I, I I mean I it's just a solid pick and I kind of hate you for it. It's a good one. Nice job. <laughs> you kind of hate me because I did good, huh? You did real good. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, so so here we are at our final list, our final our final mountain with Carl from Die Hard, Count Rugen. From uh, The Princess Bride, Jaws from Moonraker and The Spy Who Loved Me, and Gogo from the Kill Bill series. And now we've come to the point where, Spro, in the chat, I sent you a randomizer. And as the leading point holder, you now have the responsibility to put in our three names because we all have the same pathetic 10 points. And come up with the person who may be able to alter this mountain by choosing to swap someone who's already on the mountain with someone from someone else's list. So when you hit that randomizer, let us know whose name comes up. Was that a sound effect or was that my stomach? That was your stomach. Oh, my bad. Okay. Are you there, Spro? (laughs) He's trying to figure out this technology, I bet. Oh, yeah. I, I was on mute the whole time. Uh, yeah, no. So it came up uh, one, two, three. I was just making, I was seeing if uh, anybody wanted, is this how everybody wants to do it? Is the randomizer or is there another way? Yeah, I mean, we could do pick a number, but we know how devious you are and we know that you'd probably just change it in your head. So, yeah, you can't trust. I was, I was going to do one through to a thousand and then just pick one because I don't think anybody ever just picks one. But all right. So I did the random organizer as soon as you uh, as soon as you sent it over. And I know he always loves to be put in this spot. But uh, Jeremy won the prize. All right, Jeremy, if you want to change anyone from the list and this includes people who've been eliminated, you're able to swap out anyone who is already on the mountain with anyone who did not make it on the mountain. What do you think? It is really tough, but I, I think the list is good the way it is. The only one I might consider putting on is Luca Brazzi, but anyone that I would have to take down, I, I feel like would be a big loss. So 
I'd like to exercise my right to leave this Mount Rushmore as it is. Ooh. All right. As the presiding bodies over the Mount Rushmore podcast, um, I uh, confirm your request, Rudy. I confirm it. <laughs> Reluctantly, Spro. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it might be one of our best Rushmores yet. And there we are. The Mount Rushmore for Best Henchman, Carl from Die Hard, Count Rugen from uh, The Princess Bride, Jaws from the James Bond universe, and Gogo from Kill Bill. You heard it here for, for you heard it here first. These are the best henchmen of all time. <laughs> all right, and now we're at the point in the show which to me is has has well I won't say has been my favorite, but I always look forward to picking the next topic. So, Spro, if you will, pull up the wheel sound effect. I've got the wheel here with, um, it's got about, we, we've cut some off, but it's got about, um, I'd say about 30 or 40 different topics. And whatever it lands on, that's what we're going to spend the next roughly two weeks texting back and forth about, debating, um, trying to strategize about who we're going to nominate or what we're going to nominate. And that next topic is about to be revealed. So, Spro, can you cue it up? All right. And I will say that the next topic, or rather, I will say that the next episode is going to be our last episode of this first season. So it's kind of fitting that we've landed on something that we really haven't done before. Up until now, everything that we've done, let me double check, has been a best something, something, something. This is a worst something, something. So it's the best, worst Hollywood remakes slash reboots. Oh, my gosh. Oh, 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 man. I'm sharpening my knives already. I feel right. like with, with how Rudy picks his list, he's going to be like, great, because he picks like the worst list. You know what? <laughs> I, it, listen, I just realized that all of you fuckers got two points out of this episode. I got one point. So I'm back at the bottom. Oh, god damn it. Is there an Urkel reboot that, that's gonna be that's gonna be nominated next week? Next next episode? Oh, All right. So tune in next time when we discussed our best worst Hollywood remakes and reboots, and we try to carve a new Mount Rushmore with our season finale. Point totals as of right now. Uh, are as follows. Spro is at 16, still in the lead. Myself, 12. Jeremy is at 12. Rudy, how many points did you get again? I got, I got 11. No, I think you got Uno, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I have 11 points total, you dick. Oh, total, total. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I miss. Hey, 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 no need for hostility, friend. Amigo, we're good. All right, we're good. We're good, amigo. All right, desfrute, desfrute, okay, desfrute. All right, all right. So listen uh, at the end of the podcast to learn how you can follow us on social media, how you can um, request topics for us to debate, for us to add to the wheel, how you can tell us how you know much our picks sucked or how much you agreed with them, or just drop us a line and say hi because we like that too. This has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. For Jeremy, Spro, and Rudy, I am MC. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next time. Oh, leave that in there. That was perfect. That was awesome. 
Leave that in there. That was great. That was fucking that was, adorable. That was great. That was really adorable. That was like one of those like title cards that they put at the end of shows. Yeah. You know? Like sit ubu sit. Like, sit yeah. ubu sit. Exactly. <laughs> like the X Files. I made this. <laughs> a, Michael, right. a, Michael, a, Michael, a Michael Scott joint. Great Scott. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop it. Bye.